Great. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Simon. I'm one of the elders of the church and been here in Oxford about 16 years now. Um, I'm going to talk this morning about, I've been given the title, Upside Down Economics. Uh, so I thought I'd try and find something and put it upside down for you. Five, I realised afterwards it's a five pound coin. I think those were commemorative at the, uh, was it the Diamond Jubilee or something like that? They, they uh, sold commemorative ones. So quite a nice coin actually. Money. And other of those topics like sex, which the Brits just enjoy talking about, don't we? <laughs> Let's have a real chat about money and the real reality of it. We're, um, we struggle to be open about that. I don't know whether you're like that within your family, but certainly within my family growing up, we, we didn't talk very often about money. Um, actually, later in life, I found it easier to talk to my dad about money, mainly because I was trying to borrow it off him to buy houses, and I just had to then. In fact, I'll, I'll start with this. I, um, we got to a point in the late 1980s, 1989, 1990, we bought our first house together uh, uh, when we got married, and the interest rate between about 19, early 1989 and early 1990 doubled from about 7% to about 15%. This was at a time when we bought a house at about five times our joint income, and I was a student doing a doctorate. And I remember I got £4,000 a year to do my doctorate, and Carol was a newly qualified teacher, so you can imagine she wasn't earning a huge amount. And at this point in time, we were stuck because the, we, we couldn't afford to live. So I was thinking of giving up my doctorate and we were wondering what to do. And I went forward for prayer. One of those things you have to, you have to risk something if you go forward and someone's going to pray for you because you don't quite know what they're going to say. And of course, I was up there, up the front, Lord, breakthrough in my finances. And the pastor of the church at the time said to me, now, have you talked to your dad about this situation? Because parents are a blessing to children and they can provide for their children and it doesn't stop when those children leave home. And I was like, oh, because talking to my dad about money was about the last thing on my list of things. I just wanted a supernatural breakthrough with my finances that would suddenly provide a fountain of money on a monthly basis at about between two and three hundred pounds a month. I didn't want to talk to my dad. However, I really sort of braced myself and rang him up one day because I thought he was just going to say, you idiot, why did you let yourself get into this position, blah, 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 blah. Actually, he just said to me, give me half an hour and I'll get back to you. And I thought, mm-hmm. And he rang me back in half an hour and he said, it's done. Um, my mum, who's my grandmother, uh, will give you all the money you need for your mortgage from now until... Uh, the end of your doctorate. And my grandmother had sold all her, her house and all of that, and her money was also subject to 15% interest rate, but the other way round. She was getting the 15% in on her savings, and she, earlier on in my life, had invested some uh, money in my education. And so for her, me progressing and finishing a doctorate was something she really valued, and she was willing to give some money for that. And actually, talking to my dad about it released something in my relationship with him. I heard later, because he wouldn't tell me face to face, he's not that sort of guy, 
But my grands said to me, actually, your dad was really pleased that you rang him on that day and said that thing. He really appreciated you talking to him about it. So I found that actually there was a liberty in doing that, not only because God was providing for me and through my family, which was his route to blessing. Sometimes he blesses us through the people nearest to us in some of these things, although we would like him to bless us with money literally raining down from heaven. Um, But also he did something in my relationship with my dad. And I, I think that's a really interesting thing for us. Sometimes God's way of doing things is, is a bit upside down or a bit against what we'd like it to be. So I thought I'd do a little look at upside down econ- economics. Why are we talking about money at the moment? Is it because of this man? Wonderful man. The struggle with our finances. We have a challenge in this country with our finances. We had a downgrading of our credit rating by a second agency, Fitches, this week. You know, the, the government and therefore the country, has a significant challenge with our money. And I think we should be praying, actually, for this guy. Sometimes we're really negative, aren't we, about our leaders. And we criticise them. We might get on the bandwagon of those who've said, actually, the austerity approach which the government's taken hasn't been the right one. I think we should still pray for this guy. In fact, can I just pray right now? Father God, we ask you for your blessing on George Osborne and upon this government that you would give them wisdom in leading us and wisdom in handling the finances for this country. Lord, we thank you that there is something of a generosity in the way we're maintaining our aid budget at the moment and giving to countries where people can't help themselves. But Lord, we want there still to be more of your blessing on this country, that we might be a blessing to those around us as well and be a blessing to those in need in this country. Lord, as, as the welfare budget is being constrained further and further, we ask you for wisdom and ways forward to be able to help those who are truly in need in the midst of this, that we would be able to do that and that you would raise up churches and other institutions where we need to bridge the gap where the welfare budget can't, can't reach at the moment, Lord. We just want to thank you for our government and pray your blessing on them. Amen. So I didn't really plan to do that, but I just felt it was important that we're, we're, we're praying for these guys. So national finances, church finances. I tried to find a dilapidated church picture. I'm not even sure this is where we're in this country even. I suspect it's an old American uh, church. Are we having this, are we talking about money because our church finances are rather <laughs> rather derelict, rather d- depreciated. Actually, part of what we're doing is talking about that. We do have a challenge with our church finances. We have a challenge because over the last few years, the income that we get on a regular basis through tithing has been decreasing, and we've been relying on more and more of one-off gifts from people who maybe inherit some money and give a portion of it to the church, or maybe... In some way, they gain some money and give it into the church. And so we found it increasingly hard to plan for the finances of this church moving forward. In fact, I think the figure from Andrew was that over since 2007, our tithe income has decreased 7.5% on average year on year up until now. 2007, we're in 2013. Six years, that's, that's a long time for that to be happening. And... 
Therefore, we as a body need to be looking at what we're doing with our finances, and it's a challenge. I think Al will deal some more with this next week, but I'm here to also plug the fact that this is a challenge for us, and we need to we need to look at it together. And then, uh, thirdly, obviously, there's where are you at with your finances, and are you in a position where finance is a challenge for you at the moment? Are you in a position where you're in significant debt, for example, or even a bit of debt? Are you in a position where you are just struggling to make ends meet month by month, and you're only just breaking even? All sorts of people, all sorts of situations, I'm sure, in this room. Also, are you a person who struggles to talk about this or struggles to really address it and really manage their finances well? There's a whole thing, a whole group of things that could be, could be happening, could be being triggered, but in you now, you might have thought when I first stood up and said about money that your heart just sank and you go, oh no, or maybe just froze and you just thought, I, I can't talk about this sort of thing. I know there are some people who are in that sort of situation. Hence, it's quite important that we talk about it, and it's quite important that we open this up, but it's also quite important that what we've done earlier on this morning, all about faith and trusting in God and standing and waiting, all of that is the backdrop to what I'm talking about now. So it's great that we've had what's gone on this morning, because this is another issue where we need to see God move in our lives. I wanted to start by going all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, or close to the beginning, and show what God's like with money. And I'm just going to do this in a, in a couple of instances. This is a Abraham. So here's a picture of Abraham. I nabbed someone had uh, drawn that and nabbed that off the net. God spoke to him and said, I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your great name great, and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now clearly, this sort of promise is absolutely amazing, isn't it? And it's really far-reaching, and it's really dramatic. But it includes the blessing of provision from God to Abraham. It wasn't just an ethereal sort of spiritual blessing here. We're talking of a guy who ended up owning a significant amount of, uh, of people. Uh, his, um, the tribe of Israel that came from him owned the area of Israel, um, and they, at many times in history, actually prospered, as well as having seasons when they didn't. But this was God's promise, and the blessing included, includes that provision. Then you've got a very interesting story, just with money. I thought I'd bring this one in. So I, um, this is where uh, Jesus and Peter, they're, they're looking at taxes, and Jesus is talking to Peter about taxes. And then Peter, Jesus says, well, but so that we may not cause offence, go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give them for my tax and yours. Jesus seems to have no problem getting hold of money, doesn't he? <laughs> I wish I could do that trick. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Unless every fish in that lake had a four drachma coin in its mouth, or maybe... Um, I don't know. How do you do that one? Do you just create the, the four drachma coin in the fish's mouth? Or, or had he been there half an hour earlier and thrown the coin in already? No, I don't think so. I don't know. An amazing thing. 
But Jesus just knew how to draw on the Father's provision, including finance, like the four drachma coins. Wouldn't be worth a lot nowadays, I don't think, because we don't have drachmas anymore. Or maybe we'll get them back again when the Greeks leave the Eurozone, but I don't know. Um, But there's there's a, a, a sense of God providing. And actually, throughout the New Testament, Jesus talks an awful lot about money. In fact, one of his best mates was a tax collector. That's a really good one, isn't it? Get the guys who are the, the bad guys in the world around you on money. These were the worst of the worst. These were the guys who, they weren't tax collectors, a very polite name for them. You know the people who go around, um, I, I don't even know what they're called, but they, they lend money very short term, very, very high interest rates, and they go around housing estates getting people. Matthew's, a, I think, probably a bit like one of them, isn't he, really? He's one of those loan, loan shark type people. And Jesus goes, I'll have a loan shark as one of my mates and we'll go around and I'll have a disciple who's a loan shark. That loan shark turned into one of the biggest givers, actually, in, 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 in his, of his disciples. Obviously, because he's got all this money and now he turned around and Jesus turned him around. So he can turn around a loan shark, so I'm sure he can turn around your finances and mine. Um, so that's, that's where Jesus was. He talked about the parable of the talents. I'm not going to go over this in detail. The, the shrewd manager was another of his parables. Lots and lots and lots about money, which indicates that money is really important as far as he's concerned. When, um, when Carol and I were first married, we were in a house group in a church uh, in Bath where we'd been students. And when I was, this was when I was still doing my doctorate, and uh, had quite an interesting experience with money, actually. For some reason, within this church, we were in a house group which contained people who were very, very into prosperity and health, and believing God for those. You might have heard them called name it and claim it type people. These were just our mates in our house group. But they were really wild, actually, and it was quite exciting. So whilst I think many of us would be a bit cautious on some of this health, wealth, prosperity type stuff, there were some things I saw in these guys that really impressed me, I suppose. The level of generosity of some of these people was amazing. They weren't giving to get, they were actually giving to bless, and God just gave more and they gave more. They were, you know, you People would be given cars. People, the church finances would be supported significantly by these people. Even one of the couples in the, in the house group, one Sunday someone became a Christian on the Sunday morning. So we all went back to their house and we baptised the person in their very large jacuzzi in the bathroom, which was absolutely amazing. It was that's a really, really good baptism. I know some people in this church have actually baptised people in baths. This was, this was much more manageable because you could get in with the person and baptise them. I'm trivialising somewhat, but there was a blessing in giving that I first saw there beyond what I'd experienced before. And I've been impressed by the amount of giving that such people have. So I, I, I think there's something in this with finance and there's something in it with giving. I put this up because I found it. <laughs> I think there's an important message here that we need to trust God for our finances. But it says in God we trust all others must pay cash. I don't, I don't know quite where that comes from, but it's uh, uh, 
It is from America, I know that much, based on the notes there. But there's something here about trusting God. So I want to bring us into two areas where we really need to focus in order to be effective with our finances. The first is actually trusting God for money. And that can be on a day-by-day basis. And the second is generosity, which God encourages in many places. Within trusting God, there's also a point about being contented. In other words, the world around us is constantly saying we need more money, isn't it? And we're constantly looking, I mean, the Sunday Times Rich List came out, comes out this morning. And there's a load more billionaires in the UK than there were a few years ago. And everyone looks at, oh, I'd love to be a billionaire. And our constant pressure from society is to want more, more money. Now, in some senses, there's nothing wrong about getting more money. But there's a level of contentment in our hearts which matters, which is part of this trusting God which I'm talking about. And that is to say, thank you, Lord, for what you've given me now, and have an appreciation for that, rather than, I haven't got enough all the time. And I think that's a challenge for us, because our society is constantly pushing us further in that direction. I've put a few scriptures down, because I love these. There's, a, there's some wonderful scriptures uh, about money and God's provision. Typical of the Apostle Paul, he says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Any and every. That's, quite, that's most things, isn't it? Whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Comes back to a bit of what we were praying about and talking about earlier on this morning. Whatever our circumstances, we can do things through him who gives us strength. There's a level of contentment. He says it, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. There's a level of contentment, which is a heart peace in the middle of this even though he knows what it is also to be well-fed or hungry, to be in plenty or in want. I kind of like to be like this guy. I don't know about you. And I'm not sure I'm always like him. So there's something to take away to be like him. In Matthew, this is Jesus uh, says, Do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Again, a thing about pressing into God rather than worrying about those things. How are you doing in that sort of thing? Are you actually worrying about what to eat, what to drink, what to wear, maybe other elements of your finances at the moment? God's got a very interesting answer to that, hasn't he? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of that will come. That's a real challenge to us, to seek, seek him first, rather than seek the provision first instead. 
And I think that and the contentment thing, for me, are underlying things that go on for us when we talk about money. We need to get those in place. And it's always a challenge for us. It's not something that sits easily with us. Hence, Jesus talks about it. A bit more about God's provision. I thought I'd do a bit about provision, because going on from contentment and, and seeking God first, comes a few promises for his provision. I don't know whether you've been in this situation, but when the provision appears to be drying up or isn't there, one of the things I've learned to do is to take hold of these sorts of scriptures and actually to confess them, as in speak them out, and say, I'm trusting you, Lord. Your word says this. And we talk about, actually, our faith being built up by that process of taking hold of God's word and speaking it out. And that's what we did right at... Steve got us to do that right at the beginning of this meeting where he went around with a microphone. Those were confessions of faith from people's lips that God is doing things and will do things in their lives. And money is no different to any other element of what we need from God. I was young and yet and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They're always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. I, um, I was sitting at, just after breakfast yesterday morning in our conservatory with a friend of ours who we, we've called Granny Liz. We have an uh, adopted Canadian granny from Vancouver Island who turned up in the church a few years ago and just comes back at opportune times when our family's in challenge. Nothing to do with well, it is to do with God, because it's God who seems to order her flights and her time when she comes over to work in the hospital in the UK to turn up when we're moving house, or when Carol broke her ankle on a week ago on Friday, and so life's a bit mad at home. Granny Liz turns up, and Granny Liz notices what needs doing in a home. You know, you've got some of those people, they just kind of spot things and just go on and do it. Malcolm Riley's another one. He constantly fixes things around our house when he's babysitting. The patio doors wouldn't open properly. And suddenly we came back after Malcolm had babysat. And suddenly they opened and threw it. In fact, we pulled them back and they went and sprang back. And we were like, what's going on? Malcolm's been here. Praise God for Malcolm. Uh, I do thank you for that and for your friendship. There are a few people in life who turn up and somehow they just manage to do things in the background that you hardly notice. Granny Liz is one of those. And she said to me, oh, at this, I was telling her what I was going to talk about today, and she said, oh, tell my story then. So Granny Liz is about late 50s, um, Canadian, and four, four daughters, all grown up now, divorced. She said to me, right at the end of the time I was getting divorced, my husband emptied all of our bank accounts, so there was no money left. And I was looking at having nothing for my family for the rest of the, well, for the foreseeable future. So me and the four daughters. And I was in church meeting that Sunday, and I had $20, $18 left. And I just felt, Lord, I want to give it to you, I trust you for my finances. She put in the collection. After the meeting, uh, she's thinking, I don't, I've, got bread, I've got food for one day in the house, one day. What am I going to do? She walks out and gets the kids, gets them in the car, and there's a $100 bill sitting next to the car in the car park. She's like, what do I do with it? 
So she picks up, goes back into the church building and says to the guys who've done the collection, I, I found this uh, $100 bill. Um, you know, it might belong to someone. See, can you see if there's anyone who it belongs to? But it didn't seem to belong to anyone. Maybe it was like the drachma coin we were just talking about. It was another of God's creation of, of finance, but very literally on the pavement there. I don't know. Or maybe it was just someone dropped it. <laughs> God had provided for her within, you know, I don't know what it was, an hour or two, what she needed just to get the next step forward. And from then on, God continued to provide for her in, in various different ways. I was really struck with the, the righteous never being forsaken or their children begging bread. That was true of her at that very point in time. God had provided miraculously, amazingly, for her and her children. He'll also meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's another good one for uh, holding on to when you're in challenge. And he's able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Again, pretty good. Actually, Paul, I love, I love Paul, and I'm a bit like this when I read out scriptures in church meetings, but I love the way he uses all loads and loads and loads of times because he needs everything all the time, doesn't he? So in all things, at all times, having all that you need, he doesn't kind of leave anything out on the edges that couldn't be included in this. There's a sense in which God is our provider very, very much. And these scriptures have been written so that we can take hold of them and live with him. And I'm really encouraged by them. So I'd encourage you, if you're struggling with your finances at the moment, get some of these up. You can probably download the slides or listen to the talk afterwards and take hold of some of these scriptures that I've, I've written out there because it's really important. And that's what I was doing. You know, I told right at the beginning, I said about my dad and asking him for money. Whilst that was, I was getting to that point where I was willing to ring him up, I was praying out those scriptures saying, Lord, I trust you, you're my provider. But there's a link here that I'll just show you in a minute between trusting God and generosity. I put them two up separately as if they are completely separate things. However, interestingly, if you look at the last two scriptures I just, I just read out and you just backtrack, actually, the, what I've written there, there's an and before each of those, the my and the God, in each of those two scriptures. And the and is because there's a linkage between the previous sentences and the sentences about God's provision. So when it comes to Philippians and Paul writing to them, he says, I've received full payment and more than enough. I'm amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent to me, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. There was a sense that in writing specifically for the Philippians here, Paul was saying that you've, you've been so well to me and God's going to provide everything for you. And then in Corinthians he says, 
much the same thing. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I like that. God loves a cheerful giver. Are we cheerful givers? Do we smile when we give? (laughs) Um, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all you need, you'll abound in every good work. Some link here between being a cheerful giver and God providing for us. Like Granny Liz, she was actually a cheerful giver, also a risky and faithful giver, give that $20 into the collection at the point where she had nothing. And God provided for her in the midst of that. I don't know whether your challenge is that you're struggling with your finances at the moment. It appears that God's antidote is giving. Hence the upside down economics. How crazy can you get would, would anybody who's not a Christian advise you in a, in a point of greatest need to give financially? Or would they say, don't be so silly, hold on to it? God's economy is not at all like that. God's economy is about giving and blessing others when we ourselves may be in need. And I'd encourage you to think and stir yourself if that's something in, in your life where you you do need a breakthrough, maybe part of that breakthrough could come through in giving, giving to him. And by the way, giving isn't necessarily to the church. We, we do believe in tithing, which is giving 10% of your income. That happened way back before the law was introduced when Abraham gave a tenth of what he had to a guy called Melchizedek. And it, it comes right away into the New Testament. And we'll talk a bit more about that next week. We do believe in that as a provision for the church to enable us to to do what we do as a church. But there's also lots of other giving to individuals that can happen. I know a church in Hayward Heath that some friends of ours were in, Hayward Heath in Sussex, where their offering was kind of different to ours. You didn't have just the offering bucket and people put their money into the church. People would put things in for other people. And it would go around and you'd end up Probably they had to have more offering buckets than we do. But it was like there was this spirit of generosity in that church that all sorts of other things ended up in the bucket than you'd expect, not just coins and notes. And there was a sense that there was a generosity flowing around that church. I guess they had to write on on whatever package it was, who it was for, otherwise you could end up with all sorts of things and end up with some strange auction or whatever. But I think what was actually going on was that people were thinking about each other, you know, right across the church and thinking, I want to bless them. And they were able to put that in the offering because then it was anonymous. And I don't know whether you've had that in life at all, even in this church. I know friends who have had cash that's come in envelopes which have been put into our offering and they've picked it out and they've gone, I just needed that just now and it just came out in our offering. How about putting something different in the offering next week? How about thinking about someone who maybe you think needs something. How about asking God to speak to you and say, is there anything that anyone else needs in this place? And then going, all right, I'll put it in, here's their name. They, they, won't, they won't know, but boy, is that a blessing. I, I've seen people absolutely bowled over by receiving something in that sort of a way. How about that? That's, I think that goes with the cheerful give a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> I'd love us to be more like that. I think we can talk all about 
managing our finances, which again we'll talk about further. We can talk all about tithing, all about how the church's income works. But in the first instance, what I'm trying to get over to you today is it's about our hearts. It's about that contentment with God, but it's also about a generosity that enables him to continue to provide. And that's what I think we need to see. I put a bit in about giving, because I like this one. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. A bit of an extra bit, isn't it, there? The measure you use, it will be used to you. So if you are a giver, it seems that if you are a giver of lots of things, you'll also be a receiver of lots of things. And if you're a giver of a few things, you'll also be a receiver of not so many things. <laughs> we don't quite like that, I think, generally. We find ourselves getting into uncomfortable territory here. More of the, oh, I'll give more in order to get more sort of feeling, which this isn't really about, I don't think. But there is something in the way that God works that he wants to release more and more blessing. This isn't about nitpicking about exact amounts that we're giving and all that sort of thing. It's about our hearts and what we can give. The widow's might, the amount of money that the widow gave, was all that she had. My friend Granny Liz's money was all that she had. Do you think it matters that she gave $20 and someone else might put a million pounds in? Do you think God... Uh, but they've got 10 million and it doesn't really matter to them. I think it's more about the heart and the measure is about a measure, not, not of exact financial amounts, but a measure of our level of generosity which God is encouraging us to. The good, pre- good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, I understand to be a way of measuring, it's either wheat or something like that when it was grown and you'd have a You'd have an apron for those who were gathering the wheat and they'd sit down with it and it would be like a, a broad sheet in front of them and you'd pour in the wheat and then you'd press it down into this, into this apron type thing they had in front of them and, then, and, and it says that it's running over. So in other words, you would fill up and this is in this case overflowing what was poured into their lap and then they'd bundle it up and be able to take it forward. I think that's what this means in case you think it's quite a strange way of describing things. But it talks about pressed down, shaking together, running over. This is about an abundance from God. It's not about only just enough. And I think that's what Jesus is driving at. Are we tied up in our finances? That's the last thing I want to talk about. There's a few strange words up there. You might think, well, on earth are they there? Sometimes... There is more to it than just we're having a struggle now with our finances. Sometimes there's something we've got into which we can't get out of. And we feel like we're trapped, tied up like that bloke there. Debt can be like this. You can get into a spiral of it, which, in, which means that you just, you just can't get out of it. We know of probably of stories of friends of ours or people we've known or people on the telly who get so stuck in the spiral of debt that it's like a bottomless pit in some senses for them. God can set us free from debt. We'll need some help, no doubt, because when you get into, into that sort of situation, it needs someone alongside you to talk with you. We, we, um, Carol and I give a bit of money each month to 
Christians Against Poverty. Um, a guy, John Coakley, I think his name is, was here a couple of years ago. They're a, effectively a debt counselling service for people, not, not, not for Christians particularly, but for anybody. And they work alongside people to help get them out of the habits that have led to that debt, as well as the debt itself. Wonderful stuff. I think it was uh, Katrina and Peter were saying that your son, Tim, had been on a course that they run about how to uh, manage your finances well. I think we, we could do with pointing you to a few things, maybe after next week, where there's some resources available that might be able to help people, whether it's you or whether it's, it's people you know. So debt can really start to destroy people, can't it? And we, we, we know that. And God wants to bring a release to that. Gambling is another thing that's becoming more and more prolific. You'll have seen the, I don't know whether you watch programs where they intersperse them with adverts at a certain time of the day. Like, um, we were on holiday and there's Sky One, Sky Sports on the, uh, on the telly because I was watching the Masters Golf which is even later at night if you're in Spain than it is even in Britain. So last week while we were on holiday, just before Carol broke her ankle. And um, but I, I do enjoy that particular tournament. Um, <laughs> and that's not, that's, not gam- that's not the gambling bit. The, uh, the, gam- <laughs> the gambling bit is that interspersed with that, every break there's a different gambling company that advertises their online gambling for you and how much money they're going to give you free first time you do it. £10 or... They've gone up to 50 I think. It used to be £10 free. Now it's mostly £50 free because they will have to vie with one another to get you onto their gambling sites. And you just realise that with the internet, gambling's become even easier than it was walking down to the betting shop or having to post phone calls in the past. We're getting into a society where more and more people are going to have problems with gambling. And there may be some people in this, this room, in fact, as I was praying, I felt God say to me, there might be someone who's about 28 or 29 years old, probably a guy, who may well be trapped in gambling, and you don't know how to get out of that. And if that might be you this morning, I'd be very happy for me or, or someone else to pray with you and also to, to work with you after this, to try and uh, well, walk with you into freedom. And there was another person who's about 50, who's been for 50 years somewhat trapped in their finances and they felt like there hasn't been a way out. And if, if that's you as well, I, I'd, I'd be very happy to pray with you. So there's a couple of things, the debt thing and the gambling thing. There's others that we could talk about in our society, but those are a couple of very serious issues. And the more we see people coming to know Jesus, the more we're going to get people who find these things a real challenge in their lives. I put in Freemasonry. I've had a strange experience there over the years. Um, Freemasonry is mostly seen by people as a club for when you get into it, you can get forward in your career. And therefore, you, if you look at top judges and police chiefs and things like that, you're very surprised to see the number of them who have been Freemasons. Whilst it works that way round for people, that they seem to be able to get on in their careers, if you leave Freemasonry, the opposite is true. And so you find people whose lives have been, um, not destroyed, but really hurt by, um, by the fact that their forefathers were in Freemasonry. My own family, 
turns out, were in Freemasonry a couple of generations back. And strangely, I, I was in being prayed for by things. This was about 10 years ago, being prayed for for various things. And people kept having words of knowledge going, there's Freemasonry. So it started with a, a, a couple who we were being pastored by in, in Canterbury 15, 16 years ago. When I first started praying with them and the Holy Spirit was moving in the churches in 94, the guy said, I think there's Freemasonry in your family. And of course, you don't know what to do about that, so I didn't really do much about it. You then get, scroll forward a few years, and we're, we're being prayed for by some people in Basingstoke, and they go, I think there's Freemasonry in your family. And I, I didn't even know there was any Freemasonry. And then we go to Toronto, and we're in one of these big meetings in the Airport Christian Fellowship. And I go up for prayer, and this lady goes, I think there's Freemasonry in your family. And I go, this is, this is, um, become obvious now, isn't it? And so, <laughs> so what do, but what do you do when someone says there's Freemasonry in your family? Yes, and? And so we ended up going to some people who prayed with us, and Freemasonry is about cursing people. And we ended up going back through a lot of the curses that have been put on my family. So when you join Freemasonry, you say all these what things you want to happen, but you also say if I leave or if anything, if I pull away from Freemasonry, these are the curses that will happen. So curses have been spoken over my family, and we needed to kind of pull them up like you do railway tracks. And what changed in my life, the reason I'm talking about with finance is, previous to that, if you plotted a graph of my income after I uh, graduated, it had plateaued for quite a number of years. And if you plotted a graph of my level of responsibility in my job, it had plateaued for a number of years. You then have this distinct point in time where we prayed for Freemasonry and just broke all those curses. And suddenly my income and my responsibility in my job that the graph suddenly goes up very, very, very significantly. And I believe it's because God pulled up those curses that were in my life and ended up setting me free from that Freemasonry. And then some blessing came because those curses no longer had an effect in my family. If you've got Freemasonry in your life, maybe there's something there on your finances. I've also put servitude down there, strange, strange word in some ways, if people have been in service in... Um, so this, this example comes from Carol's life, where her, her family, uh, her great-aunts, moved from the South, South Wales area to London in uh, just post-war or just before the war, 1920s, into service for big houses in, in London. And there was a sense in which they, therefore, their aspirations financially were kind of constrained by this servitude, uh, this element of being in service to others and never being able to progress beyond that. There was a form of trapping there for them. And we just prayed and asked God to, to release us from that. That may seem a bit strange to you. Other people have been in slavery, literally, or their families have been in you know, the sort of slavery we would think of when we think of people being taken out of Africa sort of slavery, or even in slavery in this country, because that happens too. That can also bind people up in their finances, and they may need to be set free. So I've just given those as examples of ways in which we may need freedom. I don't know whether any of that sort of thing chimes with any of you, or whether it gets any of you, and you think, oh, actually, there's something there in my family. 
God wants to release you in those things. It doesn't take an instant prayer, probably, on a Sunday morning like this. But these things can be broken and you can be set free. And God wants to do that. So where are you at? Are you comfortable? As in, are you content with what God's provided for you? Is your heart right about all of that? Do you feel like you are thankful for what he's given you? Are you challenged with your finances and know that you need to see a move of God in them and you want God breakthrough there? Are you challenged to give more because you realise you? We all do this. We step back a bit from being good givers at times, just because life gets hard or busy or whatever. Are you? Is God challenging you to give more at this time? Or maybe you are feeling like you are bound up by one of the sorts of things I described just a minute ago. In which case, do come forward, do respond. There's a need probably not only to respond maybe in your heart, either sitting, sitting where you are, standing where you are, whatever we do at the end of the meeting, or there might be a need for you to come forward and, and, and then actually have someone hand with you, whether it's a personal pastor or another friend or someone else in the church, to just see you move forward in this. So I'd encourage you this morning, we're doing this because we believe God's in this. Don't go away from this morning thinking, oh, well, that was very nice. I appreciated what Simon had to say and think, oh, but it couldn't happen for me. <laughs> because there are times when we need to step forward and actually make these things happen. So I've said it there. We need to trust in God. We need to give generously. We need to be step free, but we also need to live responsibly. Al's going to talk a bit more about that next week. I don't know why I got finance office professional there, but I just thought, there's something about financial responsibility. I know it's a software package. It doesn't really do anything apart from being a software package. It's not God's way of living in the spirit with him, but nevertheless, it sort of indicates where we're, where we're going in this, really. Um, I'm going to hand back to Steve, I think, because I've probably said enough, and we need to we need to follow up in whatever way you think.